You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which came out in 2023. It was directed by James Mangold. It stars Harrison Ford, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Mads Mikkelsen, Boyd Holbrook, Ethan Isidore, Toby Jones, John Reese davies Shanette Renee Wilson, and Antonio Banderas. The genre would be action-adventure. In 213 B.C., Archimedes spoke to the dial. That could change the course of history. With this, we will have our victory. It's not yours. You stole it. Then you stole it. And then I stole it. Get back. We've got to get there first. I can't do that. You want to stop for a little lie down? Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Now, I have to admit that my expectations were not very high before seeing this. I love the original trilogy, yes, including Temple of Doom. And I was kind of met to fine on Crystal Skull, the film that came out 15 years ago. Just rewatched it recently. It's not as bad as I remembered, but it's not exactly good. <laughs> and honestly, I never really saw the purpose of continuing this story further, as much as I love the character. I mean, the trailers were solid. And the reviews were predictably mixed, though I've been quite a fan of the director James Mangold. He previously directed Logan, Copland, 310 to Yuma, some really good films. And I also loved the show Fleabag, which was written, directed, and also performed by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And this would be Phoebe Waller-Bridge in her first big-budget Hollywood production. So that held some intrigue as well. At most, I was expecting a solid good time at the movies with a decent coda to this beloved character though not quite measuring up to that original trilogy. And given all that, I would say that my expectations were generally met. This movie is a solid good time, with good production values, generally well-staged action, and two strong performances from the two main leads. And I say yes, two, because this is very much a twofer, with Harrison Ford and Phoebe Waller-Bridge playing Helena, Indiana Jones's estranged goddaughter, as pretty much co-leads. You think he'd be proud of this? Also, Mads Mikkelsen plays a pretty effective central villain as Dr. Voller, the ex-Nazi now working for the United States government, who now has designs on staging a comeback for the Nazis. Returning back to the role for the first time in 15 years does fit Ford like a glove. That said, the action rarely feels visceral along the lines of that first trilogy. And the second half of this movie, I would say overall, is kind of poorly paced. Kind of was the same issue with Crystal Skull as well. Interestingly, the movie just seems to actually get bogged down whenever Indy and Helena are actually delving into the real digging, excavation aspects of archaeology. It's just not filmed with the energy or suspense of previous entries in the franchise. Water displacement. Get in the pool! What? Help me open 
open the door! Well, they didn't get out the doors. <laughs> get in the pool! Okay, you're getting in the pool. Help me! <laughs> Archimedes was fascinated by... What is displacement? And here's the thing. It's probably unfair to compare, but sorry, the in-camera action bar has really been raised of late with some genuinely impressive stuff that we've seen in movies like previous episode John Wick Chapter 4, the James Bond movies, the Mission Impossible movies, of course, and even the Extraction films. It's just difficult to avoid those comparisons, especially since this film, Dial of Destiny, does open up with an extended train action sequence, which is fun. But just recently I saw Extraction 2, and it has a one-shot extended action sequence, which goes on for more than 20 minutes, including a train, which destroys any set piece in this movie. I mean, fair or not, during those first two Indiana Jones movies, Steven Spielberg was leading the charge in action filmmaking. And that's just not the case anymore. Others have caught up or even surpassed. But here's my biggest issue with this movie. As director, James Mangold takes some potent leaps with both an extended prologue taking place back in the 40s and a climax which takes place somewhere else. And disappointingly, neither of those narrative bookends really land the way that they should. Regarding that opening sequence, yeah, let's just say that this heavily hyped de-aging technology is just not where it needs to be. Not yet. I mean, you can tell that the folks at ILM really went all out to approach a photorealistic younger version of Harrison Ford. But watching him speak or interact with others, it just kind of distracts at points. As written and structured, this opening prequel sequence comes off pretty well. There are even some nice stabs at humor which would land if it didn't feel as though we were sometimes watching an alien now inhabiting the body of Indiana Jones trying to resemble a human. Yeah. And that final climax, without fully spoiling it, I really like the idea of it. And I really like the way it's set up. Now, I know that several have savaged it and think it sinks the movie. I disagree. Me personally, though, I wanted it to go even further. And for a movie that is probably still at least 20 minutes too long, the way this climax is resolved feels very rushed. They yada yada a lot of stuff. I mean, props have to go to Mangold, along with co-writers Jez and John Henry Butterworth, for taking some interesting chances with this story and this character, but it just feels like they might not have had enough creative runway to fully execute them. Honestly, what would have most helped this movie might have been another go-round in the editing bay. There's a significantly stronger 110-minute adventure inside of this 150-minute runtime. That said, if you like this character and Ford and the whole retro adventure vibe, there's a lot to enjoy here. A lot. Including another banger score from John Williams. Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Helena is a nice addition to this universe. I like that character and I like what she does. The production design, recreating late 1960s New York, it's a lot of fun. Plus, there's a genuinely fun chase sequence which takes Indy into the subway via horseback. And there are several fun sequences alongside those. And unlike previous entry, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, much of the humor does actually land. This is a sufficiently funny movie when it needs to be. Have we met? No. My memory's a little fuzzy, but your face rings a bell. Are you still a Nazi? (laughs) You're confused. My name is Schmidt. Professor Schmidt of Alabama University. Professor Schmidt. 170. You should have stayed in New York. 170. You should have stayed out of Poland. 170. Anyone? Anyone? Going! Going! Gone! And at several points, it's also a very emotional movie. But overall, as a standalone film, or just another Indiana Jones sequel, it is not everything that it could have been. 
This brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Yes, John Williams came to play again as the composer for this film's score. And even better, we hear plenty of that iconic original Raiders march. I especially love the way it kicks off the end credits for the fifth film in a row. Beyond that, though, as he has with previous indie sequels, Williams also takes the time to introduce new themes into the story. And since in this sequel, the main new character being introduced is Waller Bridges' Helena, Williams has crafted a lovely, wistful orchestral theme to accompany her character. Mainly crafted of piano, flute, and strings, it actually has a very retro 40s classic Hollywood vibe to it. Of course, it is simply titled Helena's Theme. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. It is a kick to see Antonio Banderas make an appearance in this movie as Ronaldo, a sailor friend of Indy's who runs a diving team who helps Indy and Helena in their attempts to recover a key underwater artifact related to Archimedes' dial. But unfortunately, he is barely in this movie, which I just kind of found disappointing. And beyond that, Boyd Holbrook plays Kleber, Dr. Voller's top henchman who does have a lot of screen time, but also isn't given really much to do. Now, Holbrook handles the action well and has a somewhat distinctive look with that bushy mustache, but is given such little dialogue and is allowed to show such little personality, I was actually at a loss for the entire movie as to where his character was from. I mean, does he have a southern accent or a German accent? I honestly couldn't tell. All I could really tell is that he is a henchman with some sort of allegiance to Dr. Voller. But that was it. Just an example of two strong actors who were really underutilized. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. This film has a lot of action, to be honest, and not all of it is memorable. But there is one standout action sequence taking place in Tangiers about an hour into the movie, which comes pretty close to capturing that visceral excitement of the original trilogy. It's basically an extended car chase, or it might be cart chase, or it might be a rickshaw chase. I can't quite tell the vehicle they're driving in or what the official name is, but it's fun. It's basically has three wheels. You have Indy and Helena and Teddy, who's Helena's young sidekick. They're driving this rickety thing through the streets of Tangiers, and they're being chased by local mobsters who are after Helena, but they're also chasing the main bad guys led by Dr. Voller. Follow that? Well, regardless, it's just a fun, lively action sequence overall. Now, are the physics of how characters jump between these moving vehicles in this sequence a bit wonky at times? Well, sure, but no more so than that minecart chase in Temple of Doom. Hold on! 
And beyond that, I also really like the ending of this movie. It might even be the best scene of the movie overall, but I would not dream of spoiling it. The final category would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Now, considering that this was the first Indiana Jones movie to not be directed by Steven Spielberg, and those are admittedly big shoes to fill, I think James Mangold did an admirable job here trying to add some new dimensions to this franchise. However, like I said previously, I just don't think every new idea was well executed. And despite all of the sheer idiocy being thrown her way online right now by right-wing and red-pill websites and bloggers and YouTube channels, I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge comes off very well in this movie. She even has one stirring speech towards the end, which really packs a punch and arguably does the emotional heavy lifting for the third act. But at the end of the day, the only reason this movie was made was because Indy himself wanted to make it. Yes, Harrison Ford has been a longtime advocate for this franchise, and he, while in his late 70s, because this was several years ago when it started production, made this latest sequel happen. And to his credit, he came to play with a strong performance all around. He's not only fun to watch, back with the fedora and with the whip, but he brings genuine gravitas to some key moments, especially that excellent ending. Now, do I question the necessity of this sequel even occurring? Yes, I do. As I understand many other fans of this franchise feel as well. Regardless, though, since he has since 1981, Harrison Ford fully inhabits the role of Henry Indiana Jones Jr. And for that reason, he is the MVP. As this last one concerns age and frailty and, and changing nature of life, it was uh, especially compelling to me because I am of that age and I wanted it to feel real for the audience. I wanted them to see the complexity of that experience on a, with uh, someone they spent 40 years with. Can I just say, on behalf of all the fans, thank you. It's been such an adventure. We love you so much. I don't want to make you blush or anything, but you mean the world to us, and um, thank you. That's all I have to say. And, and, and I must say to you, thank you sincerely. It means the world to me. My rating for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny would be three stars out of five. Now, if I had to rank the franchise overall, it would probably be first Raiders, second Temple of Doom, a very close third, The Last Crusade, fourth, a little ways back, Dial of Destiny, and a not-too-distant fifth, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Bottom line is that I am glad I saw this movie, but for me, the Indiana saga truly should have ended when we saw Indiana riding off into the sunset with his dad, Marcus, and Sawa. Got lost in his own museum, huh? Uh-huh. After you, Junior. Yes, sir. And if you're looking to watch Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, it is now playing in theaters. And try to see it on the biggest screen possible with the best sound. It certainly helps. And that ends another overextended review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast. And follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Cinema.